you now have a million listeners and you're on a world tour and forgot about your friends. That's probably why you didn't answer my phone call. Actually, reality check, your fan fucking sucks. And I know that didn't happen. Thank you. Welcome back to This Is Hardcore. You just heard Fool's Game. The track is not like me. And in celebration of their record release this Saturday, I wanted to put this track up on the show. Saturday, January 21st, in Phoenixville, they're going to do their record release, which to me is fucking incredible. Bands come from all over, uh, build up in their local scene. Sometimes they get as far as traveling out of their own area. Maybe they travel a little bit, but what's different for these kids, I think, because they're local to us, is just how for me as a older dude now watching just them go from being like, yeah, we're going to start this thing to now they've done several short run tours up and down the East coast, been to the Midwest slowly, but surely just keep pushing themselves and driving themselves forward to a point where, you know, people now have to fucking pay attention to this band and, um, trials of life is the, album and it's put out by Dylan from Shackled and his new label which again in its own right the takedown records thing just coming out deciding to put out a band is fucking fantastic and just shows you more of just like what's going on in hardcore in our area is people who started bands are now starting small labels and helping their friends with their small bands and everything just keeps growing and it's just fantastic to have it in our own backyard so yeah, great big ups to the Fools Gang, Fools Game Gang, and to uh, Dylan and Takedown Records for putting his money where his mouth is, supporting his friends. And it's going to play heavily into the topic at hand. But first, I'd just like to say, um, since the FYA episode, I didn't get to put one out last week. Just a lot to adjust normal life. So much shit going on. Um... First off, if you weren't at FYA, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just absolutely fantastic event. Highlight reel after highlight reel after highlight reel. So many bands. So many bands. So many kids. All good times. Reactions that just one after the other absolutely confounded me. Who was going to have the next best reaction? Privately, I was really excited to be on stage and watch the guys in Bulldoze get the love that they got. And I even told George ahead of time. I'm like, yo, these kids know the words, man. So get ready for some sing-alongs. And he didn't really believe me. And uh, if you were there, you see the videos. You see him come over and grab me. He even came over. He's like, yo, they know the fucking ad-libs, man. They know the shit in between the lyrics. Told you guys. It's fucking incredible. Seen a lot of old friends. Met some new people. It's a beautiful way to start the hardcore year off. And again, we had this whole entire conversation on this podcast. Bob Wilson does a great job. And anyone who gets invited to play FYA should make all efforts to play it because there's something special in the air down there. And it starts off an amazing hardcore year for everybody. Now, I can't say that we aren't lucky in Pennsylvania because we really fucking are. 
the following yeah, it was the following weekend we just had the Paul Bearer fifty fifth birthday show. And I mean starting from Please Die, it's just, you know, Stucky's in Please Die now. Still still so fucking happy to see him in the band with Mike and Steve. But, you know, Please Die fucking starts off great. You know, Mike's a terrifying front man. Please um goes right into um uh, Barry Dreams. Only a maniac like Austin would convince people to have buried dreams alongside the chisel. And I got the kids moving around. End it into Violent Way. Then the Wisdom and Chains Blood for Blood set. Followed by the chisel. And I and I said to made the tweet and I said it. But Sure Terror absolutely fucking blew me away. I booked their reunion show in 2010. And they sounded much different than they sounded that night, and I just was amazed at 55 years old, Paul held it down for as long as he has, and um, he had said something on stage, he said that uh, we had a disagreement, and we fell apart as friends, and that's true, and I also didn't run around talking shit, and he didn't run around like talking shit, and when I asked them guys to play, they were very happy to play, and I was very happy to have them, and sometimes I think it, I've not always been the most mature individual when it comes to disagreements, but when it comes to stuff that I respect and people I respect and work that I respect, I do try my best to not be a fucking ass and, you know, ruin it forever. And I was really happy to have Paulie back on the stage with us, and he did a fucking fantastic job. And again, Chris Mahmood runs one of the coolest venues in the country, independently run. Always awesome to do shows together with Chris and Richie, and we have some more coming up. With that being said, of course, you know, Fool's Game record release, Phoenixville. You better be ready. I see uh, everyone excited. Haven't been at the Phoenixville in a while. Just because, you know, it's different times. Got a lot of Philly venues. Whatever you want to say. But we got the things going on. Um, This is going to be a moment much like the gridiron where kids are going to come from all over and this is going to be a show where younger kids who had you know been putting on for fool's game finally get to represent i think it's a fucking insanely awesome lineup fucking killing me life of pain off the tracks firing the blood from altoona once again barry dreams and uh hangman so pretty sick Pretty sick fucking show. So much going on at Philly HD Shows that you should just go check us out. Philly HD Shows at Instagram and on Twitter. And uh, much more coming up. Lots March, April, May, June. It's going to be fucking wild. And then I I put on the internet and I can say it again. This is Hardcore will be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. August, the first week, so three, four, five, six. Some of the shows, I think, are just going to be single. Like, you're not going to need a four-day ticket or something, but we're working it out. But could be some wild shit. We're back in the game, 2023. And, uh, again, I, I can't speak enough about the kind of bands like Life's Blood. Uh, <laughs> I can't really fuck is it Life's Blood. Life's, um, Fool's Game had the fucking, my head all twisted, thinking about ten other things. Fool's Game is part of these newer bands that have come out post-COVID. I mean, Stucky was around pre-COVID, hesitated, already started, but 
and Clemo had been around in other bands, but it's cool to see kids in their second or third bands now kind of turning the tables and saying, this is what we learned from the last bands, let's put something better together, kind of amalgamating into different bands, and you just see just better music. And I said this about a bunch of younger bands. I said, you know, it's cool, you know, whatever this band is isn't going to be their best band. It's going to be the next band or the band after. And I, and I really I really do believe that Fool's Game has a lot going for them. And as long as they stay true to what they're doing right now, they're going to have amazing success. It's not going to be long before they are doing national tours. And I'm sure with all the connections they, they already are making, they'll be over in Europe at some time as well. It's fucking fantastic. And that's one of the beautiful things about being in a true DIY hardcore scene. The people in the bands are involved in booking the shows. The people like Stucky and Clemo know these other bands, so they're linking up their band to play in this town and return to trading shows. And that's like the commerce of the scene. The commerce of the scene is helping each other out. You know, you want to play in Rhode Island, well, you better, you know, be able to hook up a band down here. We've done it for 20-something years that way. It's the only way that we could all get around. It's the way how through dysphoria punishment was getting known and all these other bands, you know, like, oh, they play here, then we would play there. Then they would come down. You know, I just did the insert uh, right up for Depp for Dishonor's release on Fast Break, and it's the truth. We would go up to Brockton, Depp Before Dishonor would come down and play halls and like Lansdale and shit like that, and they would play up at the um, Planet Trog, you know, you know, Depp Before Dishonor would play shows with Freight Train. Everybody knew each other, and everybody knew that if they had a homie who went to come down and play and it could just trade up some shows. And it was a simple commerce, you know. It wasn't it wasn't as 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 difficult as emailing someone and asking for a booking agent. You just did shows. You played shows. If you knew about someone who did your shows, you play their show, then they come play your show. And everybody helped each other out. And the community really did facilitate this stuff without a lot of the middlemen that would come and kind of take over the spotlight in the coming years in the last 15 20 more specifically even more so so it's cool to see the stuff that fool's game has been doing and not, not, i'm not just saying that but because it's their record release weekend and you know because they're local to us i i, I see it firsthand i mean you see it with raw brigade at the level of taking bands all the way down to bogota and, you know it's a fucking fantastic thing and you know the jersey heads they got so many crazy bands. I mean, they got the Cut Down Never Never Again game. There are so many cool things coming just in this general vicinity. You know, uh, the shows happening in the VFW and media. It's a great time for a young scene. And so I see people, uh, they start bringing up this goofball shit, right? They start talking about this hardcore commercial viability and they start getting worried. Like, oh, it's what... The, what are these people talking about? And, and it's exactly nothing. It's exactly nothing. It, it's a it's a way to get someone to click on a link and to provide them with financial benefits because they have online advertisers. I mean, right above the website where you post, where they post and say, hardcore is a lot to celebrate as late. Not only is the genre diversifying in meaningful ways, both musically and socially, but it's also beginning to experience an uptick in commercial viability without losing its core ethos. While hardcore will always be the music of the underground, it's managed to lower the barrier of entry for newcomers to enter the subculture. 
and comes on the heels of hard work, collaboration, and pent-up energy after the pandemic. After all, it's impossible to ignore the success of Turnstile, who has crossed into popular culture while still hanging the flag of hardcore loud and proud. In turn, this inspired other bands to take note and see the subculture benefits from strength in numbers. And right there, it says everything. Right below the Norwegian Cruise Line advertisement, it says that only in 2023... Has a genre been diversified <laughs> in meaningful ways, musically and socially, completely ignoring the fact that anyone who can look at any of the books from Glennie Freeman, Deb, uh, Brooke Smith, anyone who takes a look at any books from the late 70s into the early 80s, this is what really gets my goat here, is that the modern parlance is that only now in the modern era are things being diversified and there's been this this call to arms to really stick it to people and say you know it's not just a white man's thing it was never that way Nancy Burrell Brooke Smith you can look at the pictures you can look at the stories there was always people there was always it was always multiracial there was always different um, sexual persuasions there was there was a very crazy mix of insanely different people at a diverse level that has always personified hardcore. But these people keep writing these articles and they keep acting like only now, only now is this happening. And it's an absolute fraudulent statement. It's a goofy thing to say. And it says, when I read someone writing that, I say that they don't know. I say they didn't do their homework. And I say that they just write this shit because they want to be sounding like they have their hand on the pulse of today. But the thing about hardcore is it's always been that fucking way. While hardcore has always been the music of the underground, it has managed to lower the barrier of entry. No, the social media did that. And we could go and argue that as far back as 2000 when the Bridge Nine boards and the message boards, when you talk about file sharing programs like Kazaa and LimeWire, you know, it's not now. It's not now. It's always been that way. Uh, it's beginning to experience an uptick in commercial viability. Well, what does that mean? It, you know, they didn't build a new fucking venue in Philadelphia just for our hardcore shows. The same bands play the same shows in the same rooms. In fact, it, it's just like a goldfish theory. The, the, the bands are only going to get as big as the rooms that are available. And promoting shows for 25 years, going to shows for almost 30 years now. The rooms hold the size of the crowd at the time. And I don't see some regular-ass bands as headlining Fillmore, which is a 3,000-person room. In fact, I'd say we have about the average size of the shows because we have a lot of shows. And I don't think that we have any shows that often hit 1,000 persons. So I'm not seeing the commercial viability uptick. I'm seeing the same amount of numbers. I'm seeing more different kind of kids, but I don't think that that changes your overall thing because, again, it talks about this barrier shit. There's no fucking barrier. You have the internet, you listen to music, and I think in a million different podcasts I've done before, 
I've said you can listen to a, something on the on the internet, see a video, but you're not really going to get the cultural importance of it. But these are the articles that are written that that get people talking, like myself, and on the on the Twitter and then on here. Commercial viability. And and what Turnstile did is two separate things. The band signed to Roadrunner Records. I mean, you know, Roadrunner had Nickelback, Slipknot, you know, just some of the biggest fucking bands there was. That's it. You know, for this heavy metal world. I mean, Sepultura, the, the list can go on and on and on. But the thing to understand is when you're a hardcore label, you're limited with your assets and your reach and your your physical product chain, the ability to print and get records to shelf and promote properly. And these massive major record labels are able to do so much more, not just in the physical chain stores, but in the digital and then the publicity world. In the publicity world, there's probably over, I don't ever say it had to be over a million dollars in publicity for Turnstile right now going on. And that just changes the game entirely. Now, to say this doesn't take away any talent or ability or songwriting or work that they've done, but it's apples and oranges. You're not going to be able to put a million dollars in the Fool's game and get the same ratio of return fiscally and in popularity because the raw hardcore power and sound of a Fool's Game record differs greatly from the record that Turnstile put out on the Roadrunner Records. And and this this fucking this shell game they play by saying this goofy shit where they are saying that like the barrier's been dropped post-pandemic. It's like, yeah, because a ton of people had access to social media and the TikTok thing really came into play. But again, I'm not seeing too many brand new bands that just popped up and in a matter of one year are going from nothing to playing to 1,000 person rooms, you know, like the threshold for most hardcore shows is two to 300 persons average. And then, you know, the bigger shows are five to 600. And in California, because of a very, very large population of humans, California has it and has always had it. I mean, you know, in 1982, when CBGBs and the New York hardcore shows were a big deal, there were shows in Southern California to 3,000 people at the Olympic Auditorium. So we can use that as a gauge that 40 years later still makes a lot of sense. You know, there's still just a large amount of people that are going to go to things in California because the sheer amount of humans that all live congested in the Southern California areas and also in the Bay Areas. You know, uh, it just comes to me that constantly the the discussion is on, you know, hardcore shouldn't be commercially viable or, you know, the whole point of this thing isn't. It's like, eh, uh, it's okay for me to do podcasts and spend my own money. I, you know, for a minute we were trying that Patreon thing, but I didn't think I did enough to deserve money coming in from you guys, so I stopped doing that. Um, I've done... Um, you know, hundreds of shows at this point in my life, and I've lost thousands of dollars probably. I've never, I don't have a plus minus 
over time, but there's times where I will pay a band more money than, you know, if it, if it comes down to me, great example is my 20 years of hardcore shows. To have two headlining bands at the same cost, they both need to get be, they both need to get paid equitably. The only way to do that would be to take away what the promoter profit side of things were. So if I walk into there not making a lot of money, but Cro-Mags and Judge got to play my 20th year anniversary at the church, I'm going to fucking do it. Because the fiscal value to me of having cash in my pocket isn't worth the celebrating of 20 years of shows and having Cro-Mags and Judge play the church back to back. You know, that's me equitable, not needing to make the same kind of money to have a show happen. And I've made that mistake time to time. And I've said, hey, this show's more important than me making my share. Again, the bills are paid, etc. But most of what happens in hardcore, that is, we and I've touched on this in my uh, episode about labors of love, most of what happens in hardcore is that. It's a labor of love. You know, you put money in, you get money out. For every dollar that comes in, there's been dollars that you don't account for going out, flyers that are spent, different things that you, you know, just don't ac- uh, account for. You know, there's some frugal, there's some frugal people, and there's some people that really are very mindful of the balance sheet, and they're very concerned about making sure that they make back what they put in. And there's others that are a little bit more lazify for like me. Eh, who cares? I'll buy this. You know, at the end of the day, hardcore is a huge part of my life. It's a great outlet. It's something that I still am very excited about, and I would hate that a couple dollars ruins the entire thing for me. And I've made money on one show and I've lost money on another show the next night and it kind of is what it is I'm lucky that I work a union job so my bills are paid and the the worries aren't there and there's tons of people that operate just like that there's people that have operated at a at a loss at barely breaking even or making just enough so that way they can keep the, the lights on at these small venues and that's not the case for everybody other people are making money but the thing I want to bring up when I keep seeing people, it shouldn't be. It's like, listen, we're not talking about the dark ages of hardcore here where records were $1.75 and you could ship for nothing. Like, shit costs a lot of money now. I'm impressed because I keep learning how much people will spend for merch from, like, these fests and shit. And it's like, man, hoodies are $40 now. You know, I don't even know what they want to be, like, shipping. And it is what it is. These bands need money to go on tour. People are willing to spend it. The money's going to go up. But at the end of the day, these bands will all stop to a halt if they're not able to break even or if there's empty boxes or not say empty boxes, there's still full boxes at the end of a tour. No one wants to go home with merch boxes half full. I know I had some sitting in my fucking house and I had to get rid of all of them. I'm fucking tired of it. That's just like what happens, you know. Luckily, a lot of bands in this day and age, they're selling merch like fucking hotcakes. But viability, commercial viability, it sounds silly to me but to say this. But like not everything in hardcore that is great is going to make it to some pop entertainment world thing because they don't want that. You know, like in the, in my neighborhood... All the street kids that are killing each other are walking around with like Metallica shirts on. They don't know anything about Metallica. It's kind of funny. But like if you played them for Metallica, if you played Metallica for them, they probably wouldn't even know what it is. There was a time when Metallica was not commercially viable. And now they're the most viable metal band in the entire world. Something shift. But I don't see 
you putting something like Reagan Youth, Urban Waste, or The Mob, or The Nihilistics, or The Mad, or any of these first-generation hardcore bands, New York hardcore bands, on in front of somebody, and they're just going to be like, this is the greatest music of all time. This is going to be so cool. Now, there is like a lot of punk iconic stuff like The Germs and just fucking old school shit, like even Fear, that kind of have like some kind of like iconic weird position in, in punk history that kind of lend themselves over the decades. But a lot of the aggressive first generation hardcore shit really wouldn't be for the masses appeal. And I don't think, and I think that's a thing that translates well in today. I don't think there's a lot of bands really writing stuff from the hardcore perspective, pure hardcore, that is, that has massive commercial viability. Let alone, I, I don't see the bands really coming out and us needing a new venue automatically. You know, like, um, yeah, there, there are bands who, like Turnstile went from being like the band that could sell out Voltage. They could sell out the church and then they could sell out Underground Arts and they could sell out Union Transfer. Now they sell out the Fillmore. There's plenty of bands that do that. Some bands come back and they can't sell them anymore. They're going to go back through the smaller venues. You know, and there's bands with 30 years of band playing and they go back and forth between what room they can sell out. But I'm not seeing in Philadelphia, so this is my perspective only, that commercial viability is across the board. I think that there's a lot of publicity dollars being spent to push hardcore bands in different directions. I think that people who have worked in the lower echelons of music, such as punk and hardcore, now work at higher echelons of the music industry. So they are now pushing more hardcore to go into that route. And I think that that's why you may see more of an open ear to see some bands on festivals where they may not normally fit, so to speak. And there's also a lot of kind of like immersion and people, you know, suggesting that, you know, it's kind of all music and it'll be cool vibes. It'll be something cool to throw on, to stir things up. And that's why you see like a knock loose and a scout on the Coachella announcement. And I don't know where that's going to have a huge impact and make a bunch of people high in the desert excited to mosh but hey you know go for it if it works it works at the end of the day commercial viability at the hardcore level has always been able to be like a bob wilson who puts out rebirth records maybe he sells enough records for cut down that the next record can take place maybe the next one scene unity lp that's going to drop is going to sell and then carter will have enough money for one scene Number four, and then maybe this fool's game takes off, and this gives money for Dylan to be able to put out another record on Takedown Records. Like that's the commercial viability this culture has always thrived upon. And I and it and it's funny to say that the thing that has never been really important to hardcore people is the money, but though. The older you get and the longer the road is and the, the worse the van spills are and the bills come in and the the just the the road can just drag you out to the point where it's like it's not worth just losing money. It's not worth just putting hundreds of dollars in and repeat the cycle. Everything's fresh and everything's new. Being on the road, fucking around, two o'clock in the morning, doing all this crazy shit's fucking awesome all the time. <laughs> 
But little by little, the body gets tired. You start looking at all your friends having shit. You don't have shit. Little by little, that, that shit goes away. And then you're not saying like, we should have made money. But then you go, hey, you know, I, I got to do more with my life. And, and there are special few humans, you know, the, the terror gang. There's a, you know, there's certain bands that just made it work. They've made their 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 timing of their records, their sound, everything's so perfect that they can actually last and be on the road. They can play these towns and they can do these things in the same ways. And they can stay fluid and and every generation loves the terror, but it's a very few things. So when you see this uptick in commercial viability, it's no. It's, there's no uptick for hardcore. There's an uptick in a band like Turnstile who has the absolute insane prowess in their musical capabilities and their ability to craft these songs that are just so deep in the pop world that just like it's it's a weird thing but like I have several friends who have young daughters who all first hardcore shows have been turnstile and none of them heard the records before that record so I'm not trying to diss my friends in turnstile here but they're writing records for my friends' little daughters who are in their preteens. That's pop music. It's not hardcore music. It's cool that it comes from hardcore kids who played a million hardcore shows and played plenty of this hardcores and, you know, are still true to themselves. But that's an uptick in what is already obviously commercially viable music in the first place. But when you hear some real discordant, crazy shit like a Code Orange record, or even some real fucked up, just angry, aggressive, even though, even if like fucking, <laughs> take it all the way back, I don't even know if Destroy the Machines would be ever considered commercially viable, yet it, in hardcore, it's one of the most important records in the entire catalog of hardcore bands across the four decades plus. Now, it's a different world. So these little things that they put out there are just those you click on the link. And when you click on the link, you see the same write-ups with the same couple bands because those labels pay alternative press and they play Revolver and they pay the people in advertising dollars to feature their music. So then in a caveat as they write articles, they amend and add these bands into, oh yeah, we can add this and that'll... Be like a hey yo, here's one for Triple B, and here's one for Shay, and you know, it's just how it works. It's a music industry water wheel. Everybody hooks each other up, you know, and then they they don't care if they stir people up. <laughs> yeah, we got some people pissed off about hardcore being more commercially viable. The real way hardcore is going to stay commercially viable is if stuff like FYA still continues to happen by people coming and playing, selling merch, people buying merch, people buying tickets. I would selflessly say the same thing about this hardcore, but I think FYA being on my mind and just having just such a fucking strong value to so many smaller bands, it's a fest where you could show up at 1230 and the second band could have 900 people going crazy for it, and that's just fucking fantastic. I think uh, you have to look at who's saying what as well when you see these stupid-ass articles. And say to yourself, why are they trying to get me upset? That Finn McKenzie's really good at stirring people up and writing goofball shit. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever have on the podcast. It'd kind of be funny. Maybe I will. Um, but there's people who are prone to get 
an illicit response by writing stuff that is ridiculous. And I think that the thing to get here is that is there's good shit in hardcore that's going on in every part of the country right now. That's a positive. That has nothing to do with the uptick of commercial viability. That is because people in everywhere seem to be doing very similar things. Small venues, strong local scenes, bands are touring, bands are coming through. The new bands are supported heavily, strongly through the record labels. I mean, Drain is going to be the biggest fucking band. You know, every year there's like, oh, who's going to be the next biggest band? I'm, you know, like, and it's, it's like a cycle. You know, Drain is going to blow up, and then two years from now there'll be another band blowing up. So many things going on at once. That's a very vibrant time. But until you, until I'm, I'm having to do four and five hardcore shows in a room that holds a thousand people in a year, and it's not a festival. It's just like a, a four band fest, a four band show. I, I'm not seeing the growth. In fact, I can, I can almost contradict it and say, you know, when Madball and them were on Roadrunner. Madball, Marauder, Earth Crisis were selling 1,200 tickets in 1998. And unless it was a This Is Hardcore, Blacklist and Cold World couldn't sell 1,200 tickets. And American Nightmare at their height could sell two shows out at like $500 each in Philadelphia. So they might have been able to do a 1,200-person room. But by the time they were called, get up the ghost, they weren't even bringing five, like a 300 people to the TLA. You know, the numbers I look from a show promoter point of view is there's tons of bands with tons of Spotify numbers, but not everybody's selling at the church. There's tons of bands with 10,000s of monthly listeners and the same 25 kids are going to mosh for them if they play second on a hardcore show here. The metrics don't add up if you're going to talk about commercial viability across the board. The only difference is that there are bands who are crossing their own thresholds into a more mainstream spotlight and trying to get on these bigger bills and take the hardcore name there. That's the difference. And those are specific individuals. And you, there's tons of moments where we could go through all the Asians were different, where that thing was already meshing, so it's not brand new as well. I would just say that, you know, the things to look out for are the kids in your town who are starting new bands. I mean, Reaching Out has a record release. Now um, they're doing NJHC shows. They're doing their own shows. Raw Brigade is a fucking force that cannot be stopped. End It from Baltimore is doing some fucking amazing shit. There's just so many good bands at a wholesome, true, hardcore level. And when I say this, I mean bands that sound closer to the original element of hardcore without all the the bells and whistles of the death metal and the break, the heaviest breakdowns, just pure fucking hardcore. It's great to see pure fucking hardcore and, and from the direct from the mother's tit, so to speak, starting to get some real love again because it's been a while, you know, like it took the softer tones of like a, a title fight and a lifetime and um, what was that band? Fiddlehead played Bob's Gimmick and uh, they had the same kind of soft thing, the no pressure type stuff. You know, that soft stuff's always going to go over. You know, the the pop shit is always going to be big. But, you know, it's, all these bands I'm talking about have some killing time elements, got some fucking true, ag, uh, true to agnostic front, and like these OG sounds, just getting love is fucking awesome to me. And I love hearing it, and I love seeing it. And I think that that is what kids need. 
think kids need to be influenced by closer to the core element of hardcore. Not that I don't and haven't booked a million. I mean, listen to the bands I've been in. You see all the shows that I've booked. I'm not a, I'm not a complete hardcore pure and only thing. But I'm saying it is a great thing when bands that are pure to hardcore in a lot of ways are getting a lot of respect and love. It reminds me of like when... Um, fuck, my brain just went blank. <laughs> and Oh, uh, Rival Mob. One like Rival Mob, Rude Awakening, when all that New England shit was really fucking hitting. People were having to remember about the straight up fucking Raw Hardcore. In fact, yo, shout out to Know the Score, another real Raw Hardcore band. And Live It Down, you know, they had a crazy set. I could go over and do FYA, but my mind is kind of scattered. I'm actually been sick for the last two days and haven't gone to work. And just wanted to make this podcast happen just because I slipped up last week. And um, But the, the thing here is that there are always going to be magazines that just need a tagline to write about hardcore music. But we know what's going on because we're at the shows. And we know the kids who are in the bands that are making these moments happen. Commercial viability at its core is just being able to break even and see some form of profit. You ask most people who've been in the hardcore game the longest, most people are happy to still be in it and lost thousands and still just happy to still do shit. The bitter ones are the people that were looking to make tens of thousands and made maybe a couple thousand. Those people, there's always going to be someone out there who who wanted to be hit it bigger. The bigger hit in life is to do this thing, right? To do this thing out of the core of your heart for the values that you find in hardcore that have given you some positivity in your life. None of my friends would be here if it wasn't for hardcore. My girlfriend, my family, everything comes from hardcore, essentially. And so I always give it the most respect that I can. I find that there's always going to be someone who is going to sit here under the veil of hardcore pride and unity. And they got the man, they got the manager, they got the booking agent. They're worried about where they're playing on the bill. They're all the, the ones backstage worried about who's getting paid. There's always been them slime balls. Those people are never going to fucking end. <clears throat> but there's too many people right now doing it right, being real, keeping it a hundred and fucking just doing shit in a way that you just, you, I feel excited at 43. I'm 42, I'll be 43 in July, so I'm getting used to saying it now. Um, just excited that kids are still treating this shit with respect while other people are on Twitter still crying about merch, about merch deals, and they're mad about this, and why not that, and this is fucked up, and it's like, it's a rock and roll fantasy for some of the bands, and they're the ones who talk the most about gatekeeping hardcore, but they, they can't wait till they're just in a wholly different echelon and out of the hardcore scene entirely, but they, they mask themselves well, but not well enough that we can't see through them. So I would say in lieu of caring about what these stupid magazines write for clicks, support the fool's game, support the risks, support the raw brigades, the combusts, the endits, you know, there's, there's so many cool ass bands Never again, cut down for New Jersey. I, you know, reaching out, just being all young kids, second generation hardcore kids, still going, killing me from Delaware. I mean, locally, we were blessed, just so blessed with kids. But I imagine all over there's great kids, and I hope to meet some more of them. FYA was a lot of fun. I hope you guys all had fun. Um, make sure to go to tihcpodcast.com. 
make sure you go to phillyhcshows.com. And this is where will be August 4, 5, and 6. We will, we're planning on stuff through the whole week. And um, this Saturday in Phoenixville at the Polish Club, there will be an amazing Fools game show. This Sunday will be one step closer. Lights, uh, Soul Blind, Lights Questions, Struck Nerve, and Underground Arts. And we got a ton more shows. And thank you for letting me ramble for about 40-something minutes while I've been sick. And I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.